We're going to just jump right into crunch time. Let's talk about the Salisbury CNU game. And JB, why don't you tell everybody about it? Yeah, well, you know, it seems like in my old age, Frank, I'm not able to read the uh, weekly scoreboard. At least I know I'm not the only one that's messing up on podcasts lately. But that game is actually in week five, not week four. So it was a buy for most of the NJAC. I messed that one up. But hey. It, it wouldn't be in the huddle. It wouldn't be our 50, 15th, 50th, a millionth mistake, our 15th anniversary week that we have going on here. And so there you have it. We'll talk about that game on Friday. That's awesome. Again, we'll talk about it. I don't think our picks will change on that game for some reason. Um, so let's also talk about the fact that it seems like whenever I pick against Endicott, on Friday night games or something along those lines. Uh, we end up with disasters on our hands in terms of eating crow. However, uh, yeah, um, well. yeah, congratulations uh, to the Gulls. Uh, we'll talk about the game uh, in depth here. But yeah. one thing I will say, over the years, uh, you and I have been big proponents of regions one and two, or the old East region, uh, as we used to call it back when. Yeah. And we used to take a, a drubbing for that fact, left, right, and center from our friends at d3football.com, among other places. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, looks like, uh, you know, we can last, or laugh last, is that what they say? Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of a bittersweet scenario because, you know, you, you want to be on that pick side and have said, hey, we think Endicott's going to win this game. And I did not say that. You did not say that, I don't believe either. Uh, last mm -hmm. week that was one of our two losses each uh, but nonetheless congratulations it, it, it's I, I think d3 football under explains on their podcast what it all means here uh, ultimately in the grand scheme of things and we'll look at that a little bit but you know look JB I I, I, I just I love the fact I'm still up by what uh, three games on you something like that two or three games on you uh, two. Yeah, two, I think. Yeah, but you're still up. Yep. So, you know, uh, you got to try harder. Uh, week five coming up, mm. which means that we are getting close to the halfway point in the season. Uh, basically, a quarter yeah. of the way through the entire season when you include playoffs, but uh, almost halfway through the regular season. This season's flying by, and the show's going to fly by sure. if we actually send it to intro. So, why don't I say people are watching season 16 of In the Huddle? Crunch time. Okay, uh, as we uh, alluded to in uh, our cold open, a lot to talk about. Even though there weren't, let's say, as many quality games on the schedule uh, overall, we thought uh, the games that did play out were pretty darn good. Uh, and uh, I got to attend a couple close games, ultimately, both within one possession at the end of the day. Pat Coleman got to uh, go out to the Endicott game, obviously, and a couple others uh, out there. And so, JB, what did you take away from Week 4 of D3 action? 
Well, I, first off, I thought it was kind of ironic that both, for the first time ever, that Pat and I went to the same school to see a game within a couple of weeks in the season. That's never happened before. True. So he went to MIT, True. he went to Tufts, um, so he had a chance to catch a couple of games while he was in the Boston area. But realistically, I think from a higher-level high-profile um, high view, I would say um, you know, the upsets continued. Uh, there were some, some kind of shocking surprises that we saw, some top 25 teams that in grand fashion. Um, we had a little Sunday fun day, uh, a couple of games that happened uh, sort of out of precaution with Washington and Lee taking on Apprentice as well as Widener uh, going to play Stevenson. Um, we had the Friday night game with Endicott, which no one saw coming um, except for probably the Gulls. They, they have been strong believers in themselves. They've challenged themselves. And we've been saying on this podcast for 15 years, if you want to improve your program, you got to take some big swings. And I remember over the summer, Frank, I got contacted directly by the coach of Harden-Simmons asking, you know, can your platform help us find games? Because we do not have enough on our schedule. And this was one of the games they landed. I'm sure they thought it was going to be a win to go up to Region 1. Didn't play out that way, but I'm sure it's some, something that the Cowboys can learn from. They are, their season is not over. Uh, they're still 0-0 in the ASC. It's an open race, and, and really what's going into week five now is that the conferences are going to start having their basically de facto week-in, week-out elimination tournament to see who's going to win the conference title and go to the playoffs. So um, great weekend of action, and a special shout-out to Haley from uh, Shenandoah. Uh, I know there's been sort of some secondary sort of like, oh, wait, no, there was someone from WPI, there was someone from Fitch, Fitchburg State, but, you know, the fact that we have women uh, playing at the Division Three level, not just kicking, is really cool, I think. It doesn't surprise me that one of them is coached by Scott Yoder, uh, uh, a guy that I've known for a long time. Um, and so, anyway, I think we should celebrate that. Maybe not always saying, like, well, wait, there's somebody else. I mean, it's up to the schools to promote it. And, you know, if, if one person happens to get the lion's share of the attention, good for them. They put in the hard work and deserve it. So that's all I got there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Actually, I was going to mention that later that we, we seem to be chasing our tails to figure out who's the first. Well, why don't we just celebrate the fact it's happened, period, uh, and multiple times, apparently, instead of trying to, you know, yeah. pigeonhole this scenario into this, you know, big media spectacle. Let's all just celebrate the, the reality of it all. So are we going to see... 50% uh, participation in the sport uh, by women? No, okay, we, we, clearly that will not be happening. But uh, we'll see, you know, maybe some teams will have a couple uh, female players at some point in time. Who knows where this leads? And that's the beauty of Division Three. You can have these storylines and kind of, you know, feel comfortable in the fact, because you, you probably won't see this in FBS. It's just a, a matter of, you know, size, strength, speed, and all that stuff that might not happen there, but it can happen in Division Three. another reason why we love this division. Well, one other reason we love this division is because I've got way too many uh, highlights to tell you about, and that means that it's time for crunch time for week number four of the 2023 Division Three college football season. We're going to start with the shot heard round the division, and that is Harden-Simmons at Endicott. We'll go to third and ten early on in this game, and Galen Glenn is intercepted by Michael Lafave, 
and uh, that will you know lead to a field goal for uh, Endicott early on. So you're starting to get a feel for this game here. Second quarter, 12:08 left. Shane Alward, 12-yard touchdown pass from Clayton Marenghi. It's 10 to zero. Endicott leading Harden Simmons, nationally ranked, remind you, uh, and they still are after this game. In the second quarter, 9:48 left. It's Shane Alward again, 51-yard touchdown pass from Marenghi. It's 17 to zero. Endicott halftime score would be 17 to three. We'll go to the third quarter, and this is the opportunistic defense to offense scenario here in this third quarter throughout. As AJ Hawkins is uh, ultimately complete to Jazir George, but it's fumbled and it's recovered by uh, Twardowski of Endicott. So a few plays later, actually five plays later, it's Anthony Caggianelli with a one-yard touchdown run, 24-3, Endicott leads. And later in the third quarter, Hawkins is intercepted by Colin Campbell of Endicott. And three plays later, it's Cosme Diaz with a five-yard run for a touchdown, 30-3 in favor of Endicott. Then again, later on in the third quarter, Jack Helsley is intercepted by Corey Montero. And that will lead to Cosme Diaz's two-yard touchdown run with three seconds left in the third quarter. It's 37-3, Harden-Simmons trailing Endicott. The final score would be 37-10, Endicott winning the game. Three interceptions, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery for Endicott. Shane Alward, four, four catches, 111 yards, two receiving touchdowns. Galen Glynn, six for 12, 30 yards as he was injured in that game for Harden-Simmons. Rochester at University of New England in Region 1. 220 left first quarter. Rochester's Jay Zeng gets a 24-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Rose to make it a 14-7 game in favor of Rochester. But then we'll see a little bit of a defense step up after halftime as Ryan Rose is intercepted by Dylan Ibbotson uh, at the 19-yard line. Later on in the third quarter, it's New England, though. Uh, University of New England is Damian Jones, a three-yard touchdown run. He'll tie the game with that. And later on in the game, we'll see another defensive play here. Jarrett Hinault intercepted by Jack Ensel at the Rochester 47-yard line. And so we end up in overtime tied to 14 apiece. In the first overtime, I'll tell you that both teams convert their touchdowns and get their extra points. So 21 apiece going to the second overtime. And Papantonis, or Papantone, excuse me, gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Rose. And it is... A good two-point conversion after that is Ryan Rose's pass attempt to Trey Johnson is good. 29-21 Rochester, so the pressure's on University of New England. And Brady Fiola gets a 22-yard touchdown pass from Jarrett Hinault. It's 29-27, but Hinault trying to find A.J. DeFilio in the end zone. It's no good. Rochester wins in double overtime, 29-27. And in that game... Yeah, it was Hanult with 319 total yards, one rushing, two passing touchdowns, and two interceptions. Aiden Papantonis, uh, Papantonis, I gotta get used to it. Eight uh, receptions, 80 yards, one receiving touchdown. He is a very good player for them, as I, is, I believe his brother is also on the team over there at Rochester. Anna Maria at Husson. Yes, and uh, we're going to skip ahead here. Halftime scores 22-21 in favor of Anna Maria. Third quarter, 54 seconds into it, Jaquan Miles for Husson gets a 61-yard touchdown pass from Nick Visser. So it's 28-22 in favor of Husson. Six minutes later, Elijah Garnett gets a one-yard run for a touchdown, and a two-point conversion here was good, making it 36-22. So Husson beginning to pour it on here in the third quarter, but Anna Maria steps back here, or steps forward at least, with Mark Johnson Morgan with a 50-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Russell. It's now 36-29 in favor of Husson. 
34 seconds left, third quarter. Jamal Kariglia, a 14-yard touchdown run, ties the game. 36 apiece. We'll go to the fourth quarter. Elijah Garnett, who had four touchdowns on the ground in this game, gets a 20-yard run. 43-36 Husson. Three minutes later, seven minutes left, DeAndre Wallace, 23 yards from Ryan Russell. Again tied, this time at 43 apiece. We'll go to 233 left in this fourth quarter. Elijah Garnett, again, 10-yard touchdown run, 50-43, Husson leading. Anna Maria with 52 seconds left, though, gets a 44-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Russell to DeAndre Wallace. They will go for two and likely the win here. But Ryan Russell's pass attempt is deemed incomplete, or at least it's complete, I should say, but no good because the player was coming out of the end zone. You'll see it here. They had a long discussion. They say no good on this play, ultimately. So you'll see the onside kick is recovered by Husson. They'll win the game 50-49, to 49, 99 points as they combine for 1,060 total yards. Elijah Garnett, 29 rushes, 159 yards, four rushing touchdowns. Ryan Russell, 30 for 40 for Anna Maria, 539 yards and six passing <laughs> touchdowns. JB, that was just a track meet of a second half, a track meet of a game for that matter in that one. Top to bottom, though, from Harden-Simmons all the way down uh, to, you know, Anna Maria. Some strange uh, losing efforts uh, in Region 1 and some incredibly strong winning efforts when you look at Endicott and Husson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to respect the perseverance there of the Eagles for, for hanging on. I mean, what a performance by Russell, though, Anna Maria. I mean, I know his statistics are, are putting him, like, the second um, – uh, rated passer in Division Three. You can check out D3 Data, another quick plug for um, uh, people out there doing stuff in the space. They, they track all the different statistics. They definitely know uh, <laughs> where to rank all these guys, just like the NCAA does. But elsewhere, Frank, there were a couple of um, interesting games like, you know, Florham beating Albright and Westfield and Framingham at 9-8 game. I was like, are they playing baseball or something? But nope, that was the actual score, a, uh, a touchdown and a field goal, I guess, um, helped help the Rams you know, get over that one. But DelVal Kings, Frank, kind of a snoozer, to be honest. I mean, I tuned in to listen to our friend Gordon Mann, who did a great job on the call, but really not, uh, didn't really pan out the way we thought. We thought that might be a more competitive game. It was not. There were a few other uh, non-competitive games in the region with like Mass Dartmouth winning big, Salve Regina, Trinity, uh, Hilbert, Merchant Marine, Cesar Gonzalez and company. It was close for there for a little while in the, in the new Mac opener for the privateers, but the Mariners eventually pulled away on a very wet, dreary day in Kings Point. Elsewhere, we saw Mass Maritime and Amherst win, as well as Leb Val winning pretty big. Misericordia gets a 35-15 win over Alvernia. Bowden ate the purple stakes. We talked about that on Friday. Uh, they are actually 2-0, one of uh, three undefeated teams in the NESCAC, so keep an eye on, on the Polar Bears. Wesleyan also one of those 2-0 teams with a 24-21 win over Middlebury, and so we won't be calling them Wisconsin anymore, I, I don't think. WPI wins big over Norwich. Nichols uh, wins big over Hartwick. Springfield with 686 rushing yards, uh, wow. And it was funny, Frank, because I, I had a flashback speaking with our, you know, speaking about our 15th anniversary. Back in 2010, the last time Springfield rushed for 676 yards, I think, was the game where Coach Toop, our old friend, was finally like, hey, you know what? This triple option thing looks pretty good. 
And ever since then, the Mariners have been on that. It's, it's worked out pretty well for them. So anyway, it's a little throwback there. Uh, Bridgewater beats Westcon, Tufts wins over Bates. And then on Sunday, we had a, kind of a surprise uh, blowout here, Frank. Stevenson, 49-7 over Widener. The Pride had been kind of rocking and rolling, putting up a lot of points. They could not in the rain and the wind in Maryland for some reason. They just did not look like the same team from the earlier weeks. And the Mustangs run away with that one. Well, three games down on our, uh, let's say, in-depth highlights. Nine to go here. We'll go to Region 2. And we'll go to uh, two games, actually, in a row that I attended. First, Western New England at Susquehanna. First quarter, 431 left. Tommy Grabowski gets a six-yard touchdown run to give Susquehanna a 7-3 lead in the game. Then later on uh, in the second quarter, it was Jake Schultz uh, getting this interception of Conrad Swanson. Uh, a ball kind of got batted around and into his hands for the interception. It led to a Christian Colasurdo field goal for Susquehanna. Get used to hearing that. Second quarter, 849 left. Tommy Grabowski, three-yard touchdown run, 17-3 now in favor of Susquehanna. But before halftime, three minutes left, Ryan Larson, not the Ryan Larson who coaches Carnegie Mellon, it's a 13-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Millerick to make it 17-10 in favor of Susquehanna at halftime. In the third quarter, you'll see another interception by Jake Schultz, uh, and that eventually led to, actually I believe that was in the fourth quarter that occurred, uh, 6.25 left, Christian Colasurdo's fourth field goal of the game, a 30-yarder. He accounted for 14 points of his team's offense on that day. And then 3.40 left in the fourth quarter, Western England tries to come back, Tyler Borat, a six-yard touchdown pass from Conrad Swanson makes it 26-18 in favor of Susquehanna. But the onside kick is recovered by the Riverhawks. They run out the clock and win the game 26-18. Grabowski, 25 rushes, 112 yards, two rushing touchdowns. The Susquehanna defense only allowed eight receptions for 91 yards and three interceptions they had in the game total. Then, the nightcap for me, Carnegie Mellon at Grove City. Grove City was up 7-0 late in the first half when this 3rd and 10 pass by Ben Mills is intercepted by a first-time starter, Shea Aitken. The safety gets that important interception. It's important because with 5 seconds left in the half, Logan Pfeiffer gets a 20-yard touchdown run, calls his own number for the 14-0 lead. That was the halftime score. We'll go to the third quarter, 7-13 left. Grove City Scott Frazier collects his three-yard touchdown pass from Logan Pfeiffer. 21-0. My goodness, Grove City is rolling. But you know that Carnegie Mellon would come back in this game. 33 seconds left. Carnegie Mellon's McGinnis uh, with a one-yard touchdown run. 21-7 now in favor of Carnegie Mellon. And then McGinnis tries twice on third and goal and fourth and goal with eight minutes left to push it in. Third and goal, no good. Fourth and goal from the one-yard line. He stopped, and that was an incredible goal line stand for Grove City. Then with four minutes left, fourth and two as Ben Mills is trying to get into scoring range from the 29-yard line. It's in incomplete and tipped away by Grove City. But fourth quarter, 115 left. Kaved Wachowicz gets a seven-yard touchdown pass from Ben Mills to make it 21 to 14. In favor of Cardi, in favor of Grove City, excuse me. The onside kick attempt, though, because there was not much time left, is recovered by Grove City, and then they would get one play to try to do something. Seven seconds left. Ben Mills complete the Dominic Voiland, but no, it will not be as they fumble it away. The crowd rushes the field, and Grove City wins this game, 21 to 14. 
Logan Pfeiffer, 256 total yards, one passing, two rushing touchdowns. Ben Mills, 16 for 32, 106 yards, one passing touchdown, two interceptions on the day. Then finally in Region 2, it's Morrisville at Moravian. First quarter, 10.58. I'm going to speak very slowly as Morrisville State's Jarrell Chaney gets a 99-yard touchdown pass from Stephen Freerich. 7-0 lead in favor of Morrisville State. It ties the NCAA record multiple ways, as you know by now. 10.05, second quarter. Stephen Freerich gets a one-yard touchdown run. Go from the longest play possible to the shortest play possible. 20-0. Morrisville leads. 20-7 is the halftime score in favor of Morrisville. We'll go to the third quarter. 3.28 left. Moravians Brad, Brad Bryan gets a 24-yard touchdown pass from Jared Jenkins. And that is 20-13. They chose to go for two for some reason here, JB. And it was no good. I, I'm not sure why they made this choice, but keep track of that. As in the fourth quarter, 8.51 left. Brad Bryan gets a 33-yard touchdown pass from Jared Jenkins. 20-19. Here's the extra point attempt. It is no good. A line drive. It was not a very good kick, so maybe it's kicker concerns going on uh, for Moravian. Yeah, 20-19 still in favor of Morrisville. Then on a 4th and 17, Jared Jenkins is intercepted by Omar Jarvis uh, at the Morrisville 32. Uh, the ball is taken to the uh, 20 of Moravian uh, in this situation. And eventually, uh, Morrisville says, we're going to take a gamble here. Fourth and three. They get five yards to the eight-yard line. They are able to run out the clock at that point. If they turned the ball over, there would have been a chance for Moravian. But instead, it's Morrisville's win 20-19. Stephen Freerick, 276 total yards, one passing, two rushing touchdowns. Brad Bryan. Six receptions, 85 yards, two receiving touchdowns. Guts call there by Ed Raby on the uh, side of Morrisville yeah. State after a couple uh, close calls with Catholic and then this game. Uh, they're on the winning side of it because of a call like that. And there's a lot more to talk about in Region 2. Well, maybe at least a little more to talk about Region 2. Yeah, a little bit more. And honestly, until I saw this slide, I totally forgot that there was a game on Thursday night too, the Franklin and Marshall TCNJ uh, Thursday night football game that got rescheduled from week two. Um, there, hey, the Diplomats are, are, are winning games. They, they took care of business 34 to nine. Utica won big, uh, so did Westminster. Alfred and Catholic had, a, I guess, a, a slip and slide wet one where it was basically just a, a three-point nine-to-six game. Kind of an interesting result there. We'll have more on that a little later. But the game that jumped out to me, Frank, was this Brockport 59-3 win over Lycoming, which gave Utica all they could have for him. What's going on with, with this Brockport offense? Holy smokes, they were just running the ball, doing stuff at will. They're a team to keep an eye on in the Empire 8 for sure. Your alma mater, Union, doing what they do, uh, 43 to seven over Montclair. Wash, Wash and Jeff, 56-14, another big win. They're playing basically, well, I don't know if it's for the, the pack title. There could be some stuff going on there. We have to get into the whole tiebreaker thing at some other time, but a big game on, on Saturday between them and Grove City. Allegheny, St. Lawrence, St. John Fisher, RPI all win uh, pretty convincingly, and then Hobart with a 43-10. That game started off a little bit rocky for the Statesmen. They were down 7-0 early. It was a 10-10 game and then off to the races and, and so it went for the Statesmen. They have a big game against Ithaca on Saturday. Case Western wrapped it up on Saturday night with a 42-7 win at Geneva and that is Region 2.
A lot of uh, teams in Region 2 could be ranked uh, at this point because a lot of undefeateds or one loss to really good team scenarios, uh, such as Ithaca's loss to Johns Hopkins. So I'm curious to yeah. see how this begins to play out as we go into our uh, league play here, conference play. Let's go to Region 3, and we'll start with Southern Virginia at Methodist. In the first quarter, 218 left Methodist. Uh, Johnny Maynard gets a 16-yard touchdown pass from Brandon Bullens. It's 7-7 at that point. Halftime score, though, was 14-7 Southern Virginia. Third quarter, 603 left. Southern Virginia's Isaac McMullen gets an 87-yard hook and lateral uh, scenario from Lachlan Hack. Uh, who uh, basically called an 85-yard touchdown pass, but it really, because of the hook and laterals, 87 total yards covered, 21-7 to in favor of Southern Virginia. But Methodist makes its way back. 2.51 left. It's Andre Wilson, 13-yard touchdown pass from Brandon Bullens, 21-14 Southern Virginia leads. Then they get the ball back, six seconds. Anthony Melvin, 18 yards from Brandon Bullens, 21-21. Guess what? We are going to overtime. In that overtime session, a fourth and goal. It's a field goal attempt by Jerome Reed and or Jerem Reed, excuse me, and it is no good with a really awkward snap, and that really threw off his timing there. So that gives Methodist a chance. And it's just Jari Love. We get the nine-yard touchdown and the win for Methodist, 27 to 21. Brandon Bullens, 29 for 56, 235 yards, three passing touchdowns. Wide receiver Isaac McMullen for Southern Virginia, three catches, 119 yards, one receiving touchdown. Then Maryville, who was undefeated, goes to winless Brevard at the time. At halftime, it was 9-7 Maryville. Third quarter, 11-27 left. It's Braden Dunson, 23-yard touchdown run, 16-7 in favor of Maryville. Brevard comes back, though. 7.52 left. It's Chancellor Lee Parker, a 37-yard run for a touchdown and a 16-14 deficit at this point. Maryville with the response. 2.05 left third quarter. Bryson Rollins, a 12-yard touchdown run. They'll take the 22-14 lead, or at least they'll uh, make it 22-14 at that point. But just one play later, Reggie Taylor II, a 75-yard touchdown pass from Ethan Beamish. It ties the game with the two-point conversion, 22 apiece. We'll go to the fourth quarter, 14-27 left. Chancellor Lee Parker again, this time from 46 yards out on the ground, makes it 29-22 in favor of Brevard. Miraville, 11-29 left. Bryson Rollins, a two-yard touchdown run, 29 apiece. And guess what? We'll go to overtime again. Both teams get two field goals in the first two overtimes. So we'll go to the third overtime, which is the battle of two-point conversions. Maryville starts, Bryson Rollins, his pass attempt fails. So Brevard gets a chance. Beamish, dropping, looking, over the middle, caught! Caught! Oh my goodness, the Tornadoes, Adam Douglas for the win! Adam Douglas, unbelievable, incredible, the Tornadoes with a three overtime. And that would do it as it's 37-35 in triple overtime for Brevard. Bryson Rollins, 32 for 53, 402 yards on the day. Running back uh, Chancellor Lee Parker, 23 rushes, 179 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Brevard's defense, five sacks, nine tackles for loss, and an interception. Region 3, again, uh, without a litany of games, but I see Trinity rolling again, a team you're going to get to see in person on Saturday. 
but also Barry rolling as well. The other team you'll get to see on Saturday. What else you got in Region 3? Well, I think what, you know, aside from these two very interesting USA South contests, um, one of the things that jumps out to me, Frank, that should jump out to everybody, is the second record in some of these box scores. I mean, even though Methodist and Brevard came into these games with an 0-3 record, they're undefeated in conference, and at the end of the day, that's really what, what matters. So these were big wins for both of those programs, and so you know, we'll see how the, the South shakes out, but a really great action from that conference. Elsewhere, you know, a lot of the favorites won big, as you mentioned, Frank, and, and really the one score that sort of jumped out at me as a surprise was the Southwestern 43-20 win over Birmingham Southern, which effectively, with all due respect to some of the other, you know, SAA programs really makes this Barry hosting Trinity game feel like a conference championship playoff game to me. Both the, both of these teams have been rolling, putting up a lot of points. They have the, the size, the strength, the defense, the whole thing. So this feels like, and I think that's part of the reason why I had to get to Georgia, was to check this out in person because I have a feeling that whoever wins this game is going to win this conference championship even though it, it'll be still you know five or six more weeks of the season to go. That said, as we mentioned at the top, you know Haley Van Voorhees with a with a great um, you know experience and in getting into the game in that 48 to seven win uh, for Shenandoah. I would love a number 10 jersey like that uh, Under Armour one she's got going on. It just would have to be maybe an extra large to fit uh, you know a little bigger guy. But congratulations to Haley. Really excited for you and that accomplishment. Elsewhere, Lion, this um, kind of a new independent uh, program in uh, in. D3 won a game against Westminster from, I believe they're in region four or five, maybe six, I don't know. They're in Missouri, but anyway, um, Washington Lee wrapped things up on Sunday uh, on 28 to nine against Apprentice in Newport News, Virginia. Four games left, they're all in regions four through six, so let's start with John Carroll at Heidelberg. 10-14 left in the first quarter, Heidelberg's Montavious Yearby gets a 19-yard touchdown pass from Drew Sims. It's 7-0 Heidelberg, but things will turn around here. 6-36 left first quarter, John Carroll's Tyler Mintz gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins. We're tied at 7 apiece. Second quarter, just before halftime, 1-12 left, Lucas Theorazio, a 24-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins, makes it 17-7. We're going to skip ahead, though, to third quarter, 6.01 left, and it's Jacob Huffnagel with the 60-yard pick six. Just read it and took it to the house for a 34-7 uh, lead and win, ultimately, for John Carroll. Joe Collins, 24 for 30, 265 yards, three passing touchdowns. Montavious uh, Yearby, 22 rushes, 101 yards. Let's go to Augustana at Wheaton. Second quarter, 4.05 left. Wheaton's Giovanni Weeks gets, I believe it was his second touchdown of the game at this point, with a 26-yard touchdown run to make it 20-13 Wheaton in this game. We'll go to the third quarter, 13.08 left. Tyler Rivelli gets a two-yard touchdown run, tied at 20. We are there on, uh, at the third quarter, five-second left mark. Ben Thorson, the quarterback, gets a one-yard touchdown run, 27-20, Wheaton with the lead. Fourth quarter, though, Augustana just won't go away. 11.53 left. It's Mike Giosia with a 14-yard run and the touchdown. We're tied at 27 apiece. We'll go to 8.49 left in the fourth quarter. Ben Banga, 
A 28-yard touchdown pass from Ben Thorson gives Wheaton back the lead, 34-27, and then they'll score again as Giovanni Weeks gets another touchdown, a 32-yard pass this time from Ben Thorson. It's 41-27 Wheaton with 5.27 left in this game. Well, fourth and four, you'll see what happens here as it is Wheaton sacking uh, Cole Bardwage for uh, Augustana. So the chance to come back in this game thwarted at least temporarily, but we'll go to 17 seconds left because Wheaton would have to punt. Augustana's Nolan Hewlett gets a nine-yard touchdown pass from Cole Bardwage to make it 41-34 Wheaton's lead. Here's the onside kick attempt, and it is squared away by Wheaton. They would go on to win this game 41-34. Giovanni Weeks, 25 rushes, 109 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Tyler Ravelli, 16 rushes, 169 yards, and two rushing touchdowns on the day. Bethel at St. John's, perhaps the precursor to the uh, Mayak Championship game later on in the season. We'll see. Second quarter, 11:27 left. It's Alex Call with a one-yard touchdown run for Bethel. They'll take a 7-0 lead, but much like that Heidelberg game against John Carroll, things turn around. 3:40 left in the second quarter. Dylan Wheeler, a 28-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson, seven apiece. At that point, St. John's would actually lead at halftime, 10-7. We'll go to the third quarter. Alex Call here is intercepted by Cooper Yegi at the uh, St. John's 37-yard line. Brings it to the uh, Bethel 39. Three plays later, though, St. John's turns the ball over. So kind of a helter-skelter third quarter until finally St. John's Nick Van Erp gets his middle screen pass and takes his 74 yards to the house. 20-7 in favor of St. John's. Then fourth quarter, 425 left. Alex Larson gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson, 27-7 at that point, and that would be the final score in favor of St. John's. The St. John's offense outgained Bethel 426 to 233 in yardage. Aaron Severson, 18 for 34, 266 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. And finally for highlights, we have Augsburg at Gustavus Adolphus. We'll go third quarter, 12.55 left. Dominic Smith with a 16-yard touchdown pass from Kate Sheehan to make it 21-10, Augsburg leading this game. Then eight minutes later, it's Caden Kleinschmidt, a 19-yard touchdown pass from George Sandvin to make it 21-18, still Augsburg's lead. Fourth quarter, 12.23 left. Augsburg's Tyrone Wilson gets a 17-yard touchdown pass from Kate Sheehan. It's 27-18, Augsburg leading. Walker Britz, though, says from Gustavus Adolphus, not so fast as he gets a two-yard touchdown run to cut that lead to three points. 27-24, Augsburg leading with 6.24 left. In Augsburg's next, next possession, though, uh, you'll see a fourth and sixth play go incomplete. So Gustavus Adolphus with a chance here, and let's see what happens. He's looking that way. He's throwing the fade for Kleinschmidt. He goes up. He gets it. it. Touchdown, Gustavus. 23 yards. Kleinschmidt, Kevin Kleinschmidt. And the Gustavs have taken the lead. Gustavus Adolphus with the lead, 31 to 27, with 22 seconds left. But watch what happens here. First, with 14 seconds left. Cade Sheehan complete down the middle to Michael Imms for a 23-yard completion to the 34-yard line. Timeout with seven seconds left, and then one last chance. Final seven. Here they're bringing a blitz. Back, he's throwing it as far as he can to the corner. It goes up. It's going to be caught. Touchdown, Augsburg. Incredible. How could that ball be caught? 
KG into Tyrone Wilson. That 34-yard touchdown pass makes it 33-31. The conversion fails. And there's one last chance here. Uh, you're going to have to take my word for it because this is a long play. But ultimately, the attempt to lateral all around ultimately fails for Gustavus Adolphus. And Augsburg wins the game. A back-and-forth affair for sure. 33-31. Kate Sheehan, 343 total yards, five passing touchdowns. And Jake Breitbach, 15 uh, receptions, 180 yards on the day. I'm tongue-tied, so I'm going to give it to you to wow. talk about the rest of Regions. Four through. Yeah, and there was a lot of games um, in in these regions that had a lot of the top twenty-five, uh, top five teams. You could say, you know, with North Central and Mount Union, Wartburg all winning pretty lopsided scores. Alma in the top twenty beats Wittenberg by twenty. Hope had a nice win over Northwestern, which is from the UMAC, which is where Westminster, uh, Missouri, is from. So. My, my bad there, that is definitely a Region 6 team. Um, Denison, Albion, DePauw, Worcester, Austin all win. Austin winning a, uh, a cross-regional game there, that's pretty interesting, 34-23. Um, Minnesota Morris and Greenville also get wins. Greenville maybe could be the, the UMAC rep this year, we'll see. Uh, Northwestern's 1-2, and two. Greenville's 3-1, and one, so they may have the leg up there. Marietta Blanks, Otterbein. Ohio Northern and Baldwin Wallace was a game that we picked, Frank, and I, I think I, I lucked out with the uh, the Yellow Jackets getting that 10-point win there. On the next slide, um, Hanover with an impressive 38-14 to 14 win over Trine. Wabash wins big, Coe winning big too. We, we weren't sure what was going to happen in this ARC matchup, but Coe really making a statement with a 50-point win there. In the, the Luther Cup, clearly a pretty one-sided affair with Concordia, Wisconsin winning 41 to nothing. Eureka wins a close call over our friends at St. Norbert. Lakeland, Carroll, uh, Concordia Moorhead, Central, all winning big. St. Olaf wins 38-14. Dubuque beats Loris. North Park, 38-0 is, is highlighted, and you may have heard this on ATN. It's one of the best starts for this uh, program. It could be one of those major turnarounds that we saw like with Alma last year from going from 5-5 five and five to 10-0. and 0. North Park off to a great start. Congratulations to them. Carlton uh, keeps up their winning ways with a 31-27 win over Hamlin. Benedictine, Wash U, um, each uh, with 48-38 points respectively. Claremont Mud Scripps takes care of Kowloon, 49-28 out in California. Wilmington and Pomona Pitzer win. And then finally in the nightcap, Redlands takes care of Chapman, 38-21. Seem like they're our, our bulldog friends out there in the Inland Empire are in control of their destiny in the Skyac out in, in Los Angeles. We'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. That's crunch time for week number four of the 2023 Division Three college football season. Okay. okay. Uh, first things Ooh. first, let's talk about your MVPs uh, as uh, you have three yeah. very good selections here once again. And I, I could not agree more uh, on offense, to say the least, because uh, I got to watch this one myself. And where did he come from? Logan Pfeiffer. Yeah, well, it's funny because I think, uh, you know, our friend Greg Thomas at Wally Wabash uh, with D3Football.com felt the same way. Just a, a really standout performance by this quarterback to lead his team to a big upset over a conference rival in a in a huge Saturday night game that had, you know, national audience and and so it's hard not to I mean, uh, 
Kay Sheehan from um, from Augsburg had a you know obviously had a big game. I recommended him to the uh, College Football Network guys. I think D1 Rejects are there doing some uh, D1 Players of the Week. They they agreed with my uh, defensive pick, which was Joe Kopp, who had 19 tackles in that nine to six win over Catholic. Um, a couple of sacks, I think two and a half tackles for loss, and just an impressive um, statistical showing by him. Although there were obviously a lot of great performances, and then uh, it took me a while to find a, a special team standout. But this young man, uh, whose nickname I guess is DFB, um, a Devin Fridley Bell from from Albion, had his second uh, touchdown return for off a punt um, in the in, in the successive weeks, and has helped them out to a four and zero start. Uh, Seems like he's a, a, a dynamic playmaker, so that's your uh, JB's MVPs for Week Four. Thirty-nine and ten for me, thirty-seven and twelve for you. Uh, overall, I mean, uh, what is that? Almost batting seventy-eight uh, percent, I think, for me, uh, give or take, uh, on that. So yeah. a pretty good uh, number there, and uh, you're not far behind in that respect, which is pretty admirable numbers in a topsy-turvy Division Three football season. We're not picking ducks uh, really when we're picking these. We're picking what we think are going to be reasonably good games at the very least, and then some of yeah. the best games of the week uh, every time. So good job on your part and mine for that matter. Okay, one game we did not pick correctly. Let's go back to it. Let's talk about the implications of it. Harden-Simmons losing pretty badly uh, to an Endicott team that was really all that on Friday night. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've been out there a couple of times uh, for some evening games at uh, Endicott. And we've definitely gotten some, let's say, interesting feedback over the years about where this team believed they belong. And we didn't necessarily buy into the full hype of it all, but we've definitely grown to appreciate this team because, uh, you know, the, uh, the surfboard, uh, the uh, interception uh, surfboard and everything else that's, uh, <laughs> you know, we chronicled that Reddit Beach CFB ball. picked up. Yep, Exactly. It's it's catching on, but what really we learn is while there may not be the depth of teams in Region One, uh, you know, in Region Five in certain cases, in Region Four in certain cases, uh, the, the balance of power seems to be a lot of people thinking two, three, and six for whatever reason at this point, especially in six. Um, yeah. The teams that are at the top of the heap in Regions One, Four, and Five, though are strong teams, okay? North Central, Wheaton, et cetera, in five, for instance, Mount Union of four. So you, yeah. you've got those that have proven themselves before. But here's region one, and the top dog really looks like this Endicott team coming in. We, we knew that coming into this whole thing. I don't see anybody that can beat them in the CCC, to be honest with you, even before this game started, nope. uh, especially with Salve now in the new Mac. And they go out there, and they basically, I think, knowing that maybe some of the competition down the line isn't the strongest out there, said, we're going to go all in on this game. We're going to show mm -hmm. who we are. And that they did. And it's really taken a division, which in the last year, watch an Aurora team beat Wisconsin Whitewater in the first week of the playoffs. And a lot of other yeah. weird scenarios play out along the way. And it sort of has really put the cherry on top of this, JB, to say, you think you know who the powerhouses are at all times. Well, in this post-COVID fifth-year senior world we're living yeah. in right now in Division Three, guess what? Guess again. What's your thought? 
Yeah, I mean, I think especially in the post-COVID world, I mean, I, I remember listening to um, ATN and they were sort of saying how surprised they were that Augustana gave uh, Wheaton a good run for their money. Ten of their guys on that offense are like fourth and fifth year seniors. They're, they have this loaded team. And so it didn't surprise me. I thought there was a chance that the Vikings maybe could have pulled that off. And I think, you know, for programs like Endicott and others, um, particularly in regions one and two, having that extra year has really helped them. Um, they don't t- typically have had the advantage of these 15 game seasons that some of the Midwestern teams, um, you know, get to do or because they don't have the same level of uh, funding or support that, that, they, that some of the Midwestern schools do from a football perspective. And so the, the balance of power has shifted a little bit. And I think the, uh, the Eastern teams are, are uh, taking advantage of that to a certain extent and have performed better. Now, you know, can you know, Endercott go to Chicago and beat North Central? Eh, probably not. I mean, probably nobody's going to meet those guys this year. I mean, you, I think you're going to go to Chicago on Saturday and, and see for yourself what, what this Wheaton team you know brings to the table. But you know, there's still a couple of super elite teams, and then there below that. I mean, anyone can beat anybody on any given Saturday. It seems. And then you kind of look at this whole world of, you know, who's beaten who and what's going on here. You know, we come into the season not very high, you and I, on lacrosse, for instance. And people gave yeah. us a lot of crap about that. And then we saw them, yep. you know, have a good game against Harden-Simmons. So I crept them into my poll. I think that was number 17 last week, if I remember what I showed you correctly. Mm-hmm. And then you see Endicott yeah. now beat Harden-Simmons. And you say to yourself, well, maybe my initial reaction about lacrosse was right. Because maybe that game against Harden-Simmons really wasn't all that necessarily. Or maybe no, Endicott is that strong. I, I mean, so what? one of these things has to be right. Yeah. Maybe both are right. And there's something in between it. But, I think both. You know, yeah. Yeah, and conventional wisdom, again, kind of goes out the window in uh, situations like this. And so as much as we want to compare it to other upsets, and this was happening, Jason Bowen uh, sent out a tweet about this on Friday night, and my reaction was, hey, I I could name you others. Like, uh, you know, he wanted to talk about Buff State Whitewater back in 2012. How about Ohio Northern Mount Union in 2005? There, there are plenty mm-hmm. out there of upsets that we can uh, point to, but I don't remember one this deep into a season, you know, four weeks in basically, with an implication or a meaning that as important as this one did. Because New England teams versus Region 2 teams, I, I think there's a departure. Region 2's gotten a level of respect because of the depth going on right now, especially over the last couple of years yeah. overall. Region 1 was getting crapped on. Let's just be honest here. Aside from the fact they put the MAC yeah. in there, the Region 1 teams outside the MAC and outside Del Val, really, when you think about it, were yeah. the also-rans. They were the, okay, let's just, you know, yeah, they were. And, you know, some people complain about us lumping four through six together and giving one its own section of the show in crunch time highlights. Well, guess what? They play some of the most fun football out there in Region 1 week in and week out. We, we highlight and chronicle teams and games that are really, really exciting and may not be the high-profile top 25 games every week because how many teams get ranked in New England for that matter. But, you know, when you look at Region 4, it, it's front-loaded. Region 5, it's front-loaded. Region 6 has a depth from hell, and maybe we could give it its own slide from time to time if we really wanted to. 
but region one has competitiveness and now that we can admit it has competitiveness maybe other teams out there remember this is a region or a, a group of teams that went and played some new jersey teams and beat them and started beating them a few years ago and people started scratching their heads saying wait a minute that whole curry ithaca thing back when maybe there's more to this than just that upset back one and now we have this it's not just a region two thing or just an injack thing they beat harden simmons and they don't just beat harden simmons they beat the snot out of harden simmons in that game when it comes to the overall feel of that game yeah. that third quarter was embarrassing for harden simmons three turnovers three touchdowns basically for endicott in that third quarter any chance to come back out the window at that point Galen Glenn is a great quarterback, but just losing Galen Glenn should not have created a, a scenario where everything fell apart. The wheels didn't just come off. I think they end up in the water uh, and uh, you know pop tires uh, at that. So I mean that that's how bad that was for Harden Simmons. And as much as I was tempted to just knock him out of my top 25, I didn't. But they took one of the biggest dives uh, I've uh, had along with Carnegie Mellon, to be honest with you that I've ever awarded a team in my uh, ballot. That said, Carnegie Mellon, I think we learned a little bit about some of what they've lacked on offense in terms of when they get down in a certain way, I don't know if they, if they have the ability to always come back in those situations. They were down 21 points in Grove City, had a precision, precision drive in the third quarter that lasted over seven and a half minutes. And basically Carnegie Mellon got the ball once in the third quarter they did score 33 seconds yeah. left in the third quarter but that absolutely took any chance really away from Carnegie Mellon yeah they needed a fourth uh, fourth down goal line stand yeah they needed to tip away a pass at the 29 yard line or when the line of scrimmage was there on fourth and two so yeah maybe Carnegie Mellon had chances but it just never felt in doubt once they were up 21 to 0, JB, even at 21 to 14, it just never felt in doubt that Grove City, once they took it to them, Carnegie Mellon didn't know really what to do or where to go with it, it felt like. And that's nothing against Ryan Larson and his team. They're an excellent football team. But that was a great game plan by Coach DiDonato of uh, Grove City. They deserved that win the way they played. A pretty much perfect game that night. Absolutely. And that atmosphere was electric, just like Endicott's on Friday night. Uh, I was at one that I wouldn't trade away for the world on Saturday night, which was basically the very last day of our 15, 15th year uh, in this business of podcasting. Yeah. Thoughts on <laughs> uh, the pack race at this point for you? Well, I guess it's going to boil down to what happens on Saturday night and then in a couple of weeks because it's possible that you could have this round-robin scenario where you know, Grove City beats Carnegie Mellon, Carnegie Mellon beats W&J, and W&J beats Grove City. And so then all of a sudden you have three teams that have uh, a chance to say that, hey, we're the Pool A champion, and it's going to come down to some very, very minute details of points scored and, and all this. I know I texted you um, over the weekend, so like we should read up on the pack tiebreaker because that, that scenario is very plausible. So I don't think the pack is, is determined yet. It's going to take a couple of weeks. You know, on the flip side, you know, part of the reason I'm going to this SAA game is I feel like whoever wins that game is going to just, they'll be, they'll be in good shape for the rest of the year. Pack has not been decided and uh, <laughs> mostly 
a lot of the conferences haven't been decided yet, so got a way to go. True or false, so play true or false with me on this one. If Grove City wins against Washington and Jefferson, true or false, the pack is over. If they... Westminster's um, done, Case is done, uh, CMU yeah. is done, yeah. WJ is done for them. I think so. So their four biggest opponents are gone at that point, and it all wins yeah. if they do it. Yeah. I just don't see who yep. would beat them. So, uh, yeah, it's true. No, and they almost would have to lose twice. Surprises, but they would have to lose twice at that point because one of those teams I just named is going to be a possibly a one-loss team, and they'd own the tiebreaker yeah. against them basically at that point too. So I just don't see them losing two games. That would be what would have to happen unless some shocking development occurred where it also ran normally in the pack decides to turn it around and become a one-loss team in the pack at nine and one. I just I I don't see it happening. Uh, but if Washington Jefferson beats Grove City, then the tiebreaker is point differential in the uh, between the teams that are tied. If we have a three-way tie at nine and one, okay. so right now Grove City is plus seven, Carnegie Mellon is minus seven. We uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. If it's a one-point game or something like that, then uh, you know essentially Grove City's got a real edge. If it's a you know, 15-point game or something like that uh, in favor of Washington Jefferson, well, then Grove City's got a problem at that point. We'll see what happens uh, in the CMU game. So, not for nothing, it's not just about winning or losing that game for Grove City. They also have to make sure that game remains close. If they are running behind in that game, they have to ensure that the score doesn't get out of control. Otherwise, that too could eliminate them from contention in the pack. So, a very big game going on there. You're going to bury Trinity. I'm going to two games. I'm going to go see the winning streak if it continues or not. Yeah, your sinus as they host Muhlenberg Friday night. That's a big game oh, yeah. for the Centennial Conference. I mean, with Hopkins and Muhlenberg and your sinus looking like the cream that is remaining in the uh, Centennial Conference, this is part one of that uh, round robin of those three teams uh, going at it coming up here. We'll see where it goes. Uh, but again, one of the lo- longest winning streaks in the country is your sinuses. Uh, and so we'll see if that continues against a ranked Muhlenberg team. I think your sinus feels like they're not getting the respect level they deserve. Uh, they're undefeated, and yet they are not getting much of a sniff right now in the top 25, whereas Muhlenberg and John, no, Johns no. Hopkins are. So, you know, there's that. Uh, and then I'm going to be seeing the Little Brass Bell game for the first time ever. Wheaton hosting North Central. And I am going to see that game more or less for the competitiveness that I think will exist, but also to see who North Central is this season because this is really their first test. They, they have not played anybody that I yeah, would no kidding. You know, rush out to no. see uh, them play, but doesn't mean they're not a good team. Yeah. But, you know, look, Wheaton is battle-tested already a couple of times this season. Does that give them an edge here in the first quarter or so that they maybe they can run out and take a 10-0 to lead or something like that and make North Central have to play from behind, which you're not used to doing, but they can win in those positions. I don't know. We'll talk more about it yeah. Friday, about how we think it will play out. But it's, it's a very interesting game from perspective of, is this North Central team who we think they are in terms of them and Mount Union being head and shoulders above the rest in this country? Who are you watching right now uh, with respect to other teams? Uh, I mean, Mary Harden-Baylor gets their first win, uh, and you know Trinity you're going to go watch, but 
who else, who are your dark horses uh, that you think right now are teams to watch if you had to say, hey, okay, look off the beaten path a little bit. Is it the unions and the Hobarts of the world and RPIs? Who are you looking at and watching right now? Well, you know, it's interesting, Frank, because I think the biggest reverberation from Endicott's just demolishing Harden-Simmons is that with only four Pool C bids, there's a good chance that with some of the, the shifts in power, the amount of strong teams in Region 2 that for maybe the first time in a while, or I don't know if you can say ever, but at least it'll, it will be ever because this is the only time we've only had four at-large bids, that there could be um, at least one Region 2 team that gets picked over a potential Region 3 or 4 team, uh, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, you know, depending on how things shake out with Harden-Simmons, they, if they end up 8-2 and two, or if they're, um, you know, not knocked out by either UMHB or, or uh, Howard Payne. Um, I, think, I think for me, Howard Payne is, is some, someone off the sort of beaten path because we don't really talk about them that much, but the way they played, uh, the way that they could either potentially win the ASC or either knock UMHB or Harden-Simmons out completely could be interesting. Um, out in Region 4, I think you know, John Carroll still has a compelling case to be made if they can keep winning. Even if they lose to Mount Union, if they keep that game close and their only two losses on the season are a touchdown loss to Whitewater and, um, and to Mount Union, they could be in the conversation. But then you also have to think about, well, what happens if River Falls beats Whitewater or some other WEAC team knocks off Whitewater? And all of a sudden, they're they're in the mix. I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty, but I think you know teams like the the River Falls, the Howard Paynes, and, and others of the world are what's going to make the playoff race a little more interesting. You know, below that, um, there's lots of stuff going on that, that could happen with bowl games and and other postseason non NCAA tournament stuff. But those are the kinds of teams that sort of jump out at me as like, let's see what happens here. And I said it earlier in the week, the WEAC is the uh, conference that would uh, benefit the most from an expanded playoff system. I think they would end up getting at least two of those uh, bids each year, where right now they're at yep. risk to get none if they beat each other up too badly. Uh, and that almost happened last year, uh, essentially. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Last thoughts on week four. Uh, and uh, as we begin to uh, posture ourselves toward week five, uh, what are your what are your final thoughts here? Uh, and I mean, I, I I said at the beginning of the show there were so few let's say big games for to, for us to get behind. Yeah, I felt felt myself more engaged this week than I was in certain other weeks this season that seemed to have more big games. It, it was an impressive, exciting weekend, kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, and I think, you know, even though there was only a total of 88 games, I'd say a vast majority of these, and even though they weren't maybe these big top 25 clashes, were had interesting sort of storylines happening along with them. So there was there was more news, there was more closer, close games, closer calls, a little more interesting backstories here and there. And I think as we sort of shift into the conference play, um, the familiarity between conference foes is going to lead to, I think, more one score, a couple of point here and there, some upsets, all this kind of stuff over the next uh, five weeks, which is going to make the, the sort of the almost second half of the, of the regular season that much more fun. 
We will get uh, you a little bit more Week 5 perspective on Friday. Probably have a guest or two to join us as well. And then uh, you and I will be hitting the road Friday uh, in different ways. Uh, me on the road to start and then uh, by air on Saturday. You in the air on Friday night, I believe, and coming back home on Saturday night. Uh, for uh, your game, and uh, we're both excited to go out on the road to bring you some quality affairs of uh, Division Three football. So stay tuned all week long as uh, we got plenty yet to come here. Thanks for joining us, folks.